0: I was was, uh, to Madrid and back in six days, and uh, uh, with just a few days, I didn't see very much in Madrid. Um, uh, We were locked up in hotel for most of the time, but uh, did manage to get a couple of cycle rides, so you'll be pleased to know that uh, we did that, and uh, were able to see some of the country around uh, uh, Madrid, which was very pleasant, Uh, but uh, I can't confess to having seen much in Madrid. I did sit on an aeroplane quite a lot. In fact, um, I think I had about 45 hours uh, in aeroplanes. uh, there and back over that six days. And uh, uh, <clears throat> there's not a lot to do on an aeroplane when you're sitting there for so long. Uh, you can sleep, you can eat, you can eat, you can sleep, you can watch silly movies, uh, you can read a book. Um, and so I did all of that. Uh, but I, um, uh, I did watch a couple of silly movies. And um, uh, one of them was a war movie. And um, war movies aren't very pleasant, and. Um, Uh, And indeed, war is not very pleasant. And uh, at the end of this movie, uh, after having in a somewhat telling way uh, uh, conveyed a message about some of the uh, tragedy uh, of conflict between people, uh, um, (coughs) uh, they gave uh, some verses out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, And in fact, uh, you might like to uh, open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, because It really uh, does uh, do us well to remind these verses and remind ourselves of these verses and the context in which they're given. Uh, It tells us here, and remember in the Old English they uh, translate uh, what we uh, in New English or Modern English would describe as love. Uh, They speak of it as charity. And so when you see uh, the word charity, you think of the word love. Uh, Don't just think about uh, the people who knock on your door or put a a tin in front of you or uh, others who might give in a different way. Um, So it speaks of love. It says that love suffers long and is kind. Love envies not. Love vaunts not itself. Is not puffed up. I'm reading from verse 4, sorry, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Does not behave itself unseemly. It seeks not her own. Is not easily provoked and thinks no evil. It rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things and endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall. I'd like to read the rest of the chapter as well, but for today I won't. But do read the rest of the chapter because it gives a great context of uh, the great uh, uh, hope that lies in front of us uh, as uh, the Lord return is to come. But here it speaks of love, and let's put it in the, uh, in the modern English, right? So let's think about it. It tells us that love is patient, is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, and it is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it does not delight in evil, it rejoices with the truth and it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres, love never fails. That's oh, a good list, isn't it? And when you speak of it uh, like that, as if it's some object that's over there, uh, it's a bit depersonalised and it's useful to actually uh, express it in the first person. Right? So put an eye in there. It says, if I demonstrate love, I am patient, I am kind, I do not envy, I do not boast, I am not proud, I am not rude, I am not self-seeking, I am not easily angered, I think no evil, I do not rejoice in evil, I rejoice in the truth and I protect others, I trust in the truth and I hope by the truth. I persevere in or for the truth. I never fail in love. That's a great message, isn't it? And if we can stand and honestly proclaim those qualities in the first person, then I think all of us would be pretty pleased with ourselves. Indeed, it will be a different world than the one that we live in today. Uh, and indeed the world that mankind has always lived in throughout history. If we could but uh, allow that character of love to pervade our lives, if we would but allow recognising that love is a fruit of the Spirit and indeed part of the gift of the Spirit that we receive, if we would, would but allow through the Spirit the love of God to take root in our life, and to demonstrate those qualities, then wouldn't that be good? The way we interact with others. We have no control as an individual over what the world might put together as its foundation for dealing with each other. We do have a measure of control as to how we do it ourselves. And so, therefore, we do have an opportunity to bring that which might be distant into that which is personalised. And we can make all of these qualities something that pervades our life. The Bible tells us that you will struggle to do so in your own natural flesh, in your own mortal being. The Bible uh, makes it quite clear to us that we need to have some transformation if we are to have such qualities as part of our lives personally. And indeed we need a transformation that must be spiritual. We need to receive of God's Holy Spirit because it is part, as I said, of the fruit of the Spirit that this love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. It is a, a critical part of what it is that God has given to us as a free act of grace, as a gift that these qualities that make up the love of God should be able to work in our lives. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, we, we judge each other at times. We shouldn't. The Bible tells us we oughtn't. But we nevertheless do. Right? We look on other people and we say, gee, that's a nice person. Right? And um, I remember once uh, somebody being described to me as a person, you know, love just oozes out of that fellow. Now, you know, I'm not a very... Um, uh, what do you describe it, Uh, sort of uh, wishy-washy sort of person, right? Or it's just not me, right? And uh, so when someone tells me that love oozes out of somebody, I struggle with it, right? I I struggle with the concept. Uh, It was particularly uh, difficult for me in the context of this discussion because the person I knew was a person who had pursued... uh, his own agenda in a way that damaged many others and I knew more about this person and the actions that they were giving uh, than the person who would be willing to put label to the person. And so what does that say to me? What does that say to you? It says uh, we are somewhat uh, frail in our ability to assess at times. Uh, the qualities of love in others. And indeed, that's uh, one of the reasons why the Bible tells you not to do it. Right? Uh, I ride my bicycle. I like to do that. Right? It's a, a recreation. It, it keeps a bit of the fat and flab off an old man. Uh, one of the things that it does, it allows you to interact with people. Um, and uh, when you're riding a bike, uh, it's a very group activity. And sometimes uh, it's, it's the right time to help Uh, the uh, cycling buddy, and so you can offer them a wheel and drag them through the wind, uh, and that's a great time. And other times, it's the right time just to smash them, right? And to, you know, to ride so hard so that they, you know, they can't possibly keep up to your wheel, uh, even if they might want to. Right? That's part of the dynamic of cycling. That's what I enjoy about it, right? Sometimes it's... Now... Uh, you you build up a bit of a reputation as to whether you get the balance right uh, between the time that you offer to help and give that wheel and the other times when you threaten somebody that there's no way you're going to get my wheel. And I was in Madrid this time last week, right? So Sunday last week I was in Madrid and uh, uh, and we had a bit of time after the conference and uh, some fellows had organised some bicycles. So we went for a ride. And there was a guy there who was a really nice guy. Right, whatever that is. Right, he's a really nice guy, and um, and every hill we came to, he just smashed us. Right, so he just went, pew, right, he was gone. Right, it looked like I was just standing still you know, and uh, huffing and puffing as I was and wheezing and carrying on like an old man. Right, he would just get on his bike, spin his legs, and he'd be up and gone. Right, every time. And you know, and I would think to myself, well, you know, maybe people won't think that he's a nice guy. Right, because. He just smashes everybody. Uh, every time, he just smashes everybody. But uh, for some reason, he was able to maintain his Mr Nice Guy image, even though he smashed everybody on every hill. Now, how does he do that? Right? I, I mean, I can't do that. I don't have that reputation. Right? And forget the cycling. Right? People don't think I'm a nice guy. Right? I am. Right? I try to be. but. <laughs> But they don't... I just can't convey that as, you know, my character. They think I'm too brusque or they think I'm... You know, they'll, they'll think a whole lot of list of uh, qualities that um, uh, make it hard for people to relate to, right? I try really hard to be a nice guy, but I just can't do it, right? Well, it's not true. I can do it. But anyway, I haven't got that reputation, right? Now, why is that? Right? And what's the point of all of this in the context that we're talking about here? Well, what I wanted to focus on Right, is the quality of love that in the uh, uh, King James it says, love or charity seeks not her own. To put it in the modern English, love is not self-seeking. To put it in a personalised form, I am not self-seeking. And I wanted to focus on that particular quality of love because it seems to me that it is something that is in my control, right? particularly as I allow God's Spirit to work in my life i able to do things that don't just seek what is my own. If you think about it, in many respects, life is about surviving. It's about survival. And in fact, some uh, scientists of uh, apparently some notable ability uh, say that it's all about the survival of the fittest. Right? And uh, they will describe uh, how it is that the strong survive and the weak do not. Inherently, our natural focus is upon our own survival, whether it be to get food or shelter or health, uh, whether we meet those, have to meet those basic needs. And then when we have catered for our own survival, we tend to shift our attention away from those basic necessities uh, into uh, issues of pleasure, or as I've said recently, wellness is the way it's described these <laughs> days, right, or my wellbeing Right, uh, you know, uh, uh, the 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 uh, uh, way I fill my recreational time. Right, Uh, at the end of the day, the focus remains on self. That's to a degree understandable. Indeed, when you're sitting on an aeroplane, right, they talk about you know in a nice cheery voice and with a smile on their face. What happens when the oxygen masks pop down? Right, and they remind you that you're not allowed to put that on your child before you put it on yourself. They say you've got to look after yourself first, because otherwise you may not actually get to do anything, and you'll both pass away. Right? You've got to look after your basic needs yourself. So to a degree, it is both understandable and sensible that we should have some focus on what's important to ourselves. We've got to look after number one, right, is the way the world would put it. Um, uh, you've got to be alive, you've got to be well, before... You can think about others. Right? And as I said, to a degree, that's fine. But there, there are some critical things in life where it is best that we focus on others before we focus on ourselves. Indeed, indeed, primary focus should be on others rather than on ourselves. And when you go through that list of the qualities of love, Particular feature that I highlighted, love uh, seeks not her own or is not self seeking, is really a fundamental quality and opportunity that Jesus gives us if we are to grasp the concept of the love of God in our lives. You now, if you go to a dictionary and you look up the word altruism, it will say this. It says, a devotion to the welfare of others, regard for others as a principle of action opposed to egoism or selfishness. And so altruism is the opposite of being selfish, selfish or being egotistical or showing egoism with a focus on self. Some years ago I gave a little uh, example, and I love the example, so I'm going to give it again, Right, of vampire bats. Now, vampire bats uh, don't actually suck blood from human beings. Contrary to everything you've uh, ever heard in your horror movies or whatever stories, they don't do it. Vampire bats are about 70 millimetres long. so about this long. And uh, they uh, jump onto... uh, They're very agile and they jump onto the backs of animals, whether it be a, a, a cow or a pig or a horse. And they, because they're so small, and they only weigh about 60 grams, right, so they're tiny little things, they, they can hop around on the back of these animals and not even be noticed, right? A bit like a mosquito, right? Um, just a little bit bigger, right? So these, these little bats they, uh, will jump around, and, um, and they, uh, they get uh, their serve of blood. As I said, they're very small, and they don't need very much And indeed, they can live quite happily uh, with the animals that they feed on. Um, Apparently, they need two teaspoons of blood every night if they are to survive. So this is is important for you to know this, right? You need to know about how a vampire bat survives, right? And in fact, we're going to see a great little message here, right? So, So if they don't get their food for two nights in a row, then they will die, right? That's how critical it is, right? They, they live this very fine balance between life and death and they need two tablespoons of blood... Uh, tablespoons? Teaspoons of blood every night. And they will fail otherwise because uh, they get to a critical level, they lose their body heat and their mammals and so therefore they die. Now, some people study bats. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good thing to do. Right? Some people study bats, right? And they do all this uh, sort of analysis of what happens to a bat... And um, apparently uh, we're told that uh, uh, about 7% of bats in a community will fail to feed in any given night. Now, that means, uh, I'm told by the mathematicians, and I'm not very good at uh, understanding this, but I'm told that that means they should have an annual mortality rate of 82%. You would expect about 82% of these bats to die every year. But when the people who study bats look at it carefully, they work out that only 24% of the bats die in any given year. Why is this so? If uh, you old remember <laughs> Professor Julius Sumner-Miller, he would say, why is this so? Right? <laughs> and um, so why is it that so many more bats survive than what the statistics would suggest would be the case? Well. As you would expect, this is where it gets interesting right? and relevant for us today. Vampire bats don't live on their own. Right? If they did, it's a good chance they would die more often uh, than what the statistics show. They live in very large communities, which is one of the reasons why we get scared of them, because you know, they flap around and make noise and all that sort of stuff. Right? And, uh, uh, and within those communities, bats become mutually dependent on each other. They groom each other, right? They make each other look good for when they go out uh, on their feeding frenzies every night. Uh, They form bonds, right? They get friends, right? And they have buddies, right? And and the buddies can either be related, they might be, you know, like siblings, or they might just be uh, people that they've met and they get on with, right? So they have buddies, right? So buddy vampires, right? I haven't got any buddy vampires, but anyway. Although there are some bloodsuckers out there, that's true. (laughs) Now, when one bat uh, is uh, getting to a critical state um, and hasn't been able to eat its two teaspoons of uh, blood uh, and it's getting to its minimum weight and therefore very close to death, then apparently others in the bat community can detect that. They can work it out when the little bat is struggling. That's where the buddies step in. So the buddies come in at this point. The starving bat seeks food from its buddies. And the buddies, believe it or not, will regurgitate some of the food that they have collected and donate it to the starving bat. So they've gone to all the trouble to collect their uh, two teaspoons of blood and hopped around on the back of the horse or the pig or the cow or whatever it might be. But when they see another bat struggling, they will cough it up and share the blood. Yum, right? And you might ask, well, hold on a minute. Doesn't that put the bat that is donating the food at risk itself? I mean, why would they do that? Because, you know, that bat also needs its two teaspoons of blood each time. Of course, it does put the bat at some risk. The donor will lose about six hours of critical time to salvation. Right, every time it donates a little bit of blood to its buddy, it loses six hours of its life. But the recipient gains 18 hours. Apparently well, people have studied this, right? And you, you know, they've done this to all this precision, right? They've worked out you know, uh, how much longer the recipient of this donation will survive and how much shorter will be the uh, lifespan of the... it's giving. And, and the receiver, therefore, benefits more... Then the donor loses. there's yeah, no doubt that the donor still loses and has to make it up. And the attitude, if you like, that's described, or rather displayed here, and in the context of what we're talking about, is an altruistic attitude. They're showing some altruism with some concern for others even to their own detriment. But if in the future... The buddy needs some food, that is the one who was the giver today, then it can in turn rely upon others that it has fed and helped in the past. So help it out uh, when the time comes. So overall, the group thrives and survives by this recognition that we are all interdependent. We're all in this together, as the song goes, right? We're all in this together. Right? and we need to respond to the needs of others. Now, philosophers, of course, put labels on all things. They call that reciprocal altruism, right? There you go. You can have a look at that look it up in the dictionary. It's called reciprocal altruism, right? It's not just all one way. It actually benefits you coming back again, the giving and the receiving, uh, where uh, each gives to the benefit of the other in circumstances where it can be confident that the behaviour... Okay, what does it all mean to us, right? The purpose of today is to not study vampire bats, although no doubt you can now go into Wikipedia and uh, test everything that I've told you and uh, work out some more about it when you go home tonight. The critical thing is what does it mean for the love of God as it works in us to make us a person who does not seek their own? Let's go to John, chapter 15. Chapter fifteen and verse twelve. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you, henceforth. I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known to you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you that you love one another. This isn't an invitation here. This is a command. This is a command Command from one in authority. The Son of God. Jesus commands us to love one another. He described this uh, not only as my commandment, but also as a new commandment. So here, as we read in John chapter 15, it was my commandment. In John chapter 13, just go back a couple of pages. And in verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved always puzzled me why Jesus said this was a new command. Because if you go to Leviticus, and you needn't turn to it, I'll read it, in chapter 19, verse 17, it says, "'You shall not hate your brother in your heart. "'You shall not in any wise rebuke your neighbour "'and not suffer sin upon him. "'You shall not avenge nor bear any grudge "'against the children of your people.' but you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. It so was part of the Old Testament law uh, that uh, we should love our neighbour as ourselves, which is the second of the greatest commandments that Jesus uh, mentions. It's not a new commandment to love your neighbour. Right? It never was. Right? It had been for thousands of years. Uh, The Lord would have it that it would have characterised the relationship of his people in whatever age, that they would demonstrate an attitude to the ones that they deal with, their neighbours, that they would love those neighbours even as they would themselves, and that they would uh, uphold them in their time of need, even as they would expect to do so both to themselves and to have others to do to them. That was always part of God's dealings with mankind. It was always the way God expected his people to a- act uh, to each other, that they would not be seeking their own, but that they would love their neighbour as themselves. So, well, in fact, in Matthew chapter 7 and in verse 12, Jesus acknowledges that the treatment of others as ourselves was part of the old law. Right? So he says in that verse, and I'll read it to you, Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them? For this is the law and the prophets. And it wasn't a new commandment to love them as themselves. So what is it about what Jesus gave that is new? What's the new commandment that I give unto you. Well, it's not merely to love your neighbor. We ought to always have done that as we have our relationship with God. It's essential that we would love our neighbour as ourselves to be part of this. But the key difference is in loving our neighbour even as Jesus loved us. The only words that are different in what Jesus gave as his commandment, it is, and compared it to the Old Testament law, It is the words, as I have loved you. Uh, We are to love even as Jesus has loved us. So if we want to understand how it is that we should react to each other, if we want to understand as to what we might expect uh, so that others would look upon us and be able to recognise the work of God in our lives, uh, then we do no better than to look at what it was uh, about Jesus' love for us that distinguishes it uh, from uh, loving your neighbour as your commandment in Leviticus. And I think there are two key things that allow the love of Jesus to stand apart. from what we've seen uh, throughout history. The first one is who we identify as our neighbour. I've talked about this before and you remember there's a a lovely little uh, snake in a bottle, not snake in a bottle, snail in a bottle uh, law case uh, that talks a bit about this and uh, uh, an English law lord uh, uh, speculated uh, as to who it was, was our neighbour and to whom do we have a responsibility in life. And um, most of the lawyers uh, side of things is all about trying to narrow down the scope of who is my neighbour. Right? That's not the approach that Jesus gave. And indeed, if you put it in a national context, which is very much that, uh, that we see in the Old Testament, right, where uh, it started as the nation of Israel... then a lot of this focus of of love in the Old Testament was bound by uh, the national boundaries, if you like, or the the, the boundaries of the people of the children of Israel. Not solely that, because some aspects of the law certainly extended to the strangers and those who were outside. But the primary focus was on those who were part of the family or part of our people. Uh, Yet uh, for Jesus, there was none of that. Who we identify our neighbour is not limited by such a boundary. Uh, To to whom we should consider uh, is worthy to receive our love. Who is to be a recipient of the gift that God has given to us? Right? it's not to be ones that are just our family or just our brothers and sisters or just the people that we deal with uh, in a particular way or their skins of a certain colour or they, uh, you know, I can get on better with them because they're a nice guy. Um, it's none of that, right? A key quality of the love of God as demonstrated through Jesus is that we can identify our neighbour in all The second element is the nature of the love that we are to show to our neighbour. And I'll give some examples of that uh, overall. The important thing is to understand that it's not merely our buddies, right? Take our vampire bat uh, scenario. Right? It's not just our buddies who deserve our love, but rather it is all. And moreover, our love is to be sacrificial. It is to have an altruistic element as we do it will be primarily for the benefit of others and not for ourselves we need to be willing to reach out to others in the demonstration of God's love and to not uh, simply be expecting what comes back our way I'll read to you a couple of verses out of Ephesians out of Ephesians in chapter 5 it says in verse 1 be you therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love As Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savour. The love of God, as commanded by Jesus, was to be sacrificial, it was to be altruistic, it was not to seek our own. Now, it's interesting, if you read about altruism, uh, philosophers are crazy, right? They love chasing their tail and they love digging holes so they can just fill them in again uh, and then only to find another way to uh, dig them out again. And so when they talk about altruism, right, many philosophers will say, well, altruism, uh, and in fact, altruistic uh, behaviour is not a good thing. It's said to be harmful uh, to society, would you believe it, for us to have an attitude might be there to serve others. Uh, And the rationale says, well, uh, if everybody's or a group of people are being altruistic, then what it does is is it provides fertile ground for those who seek to exploit or abuse others to do so until uh, they can use their gathered power uh, to uh, oppress uh, the uh, weaklings around about them. So there's a lot of uh, philosophers consider that uh, altruistic behaviour demeans the individual and that there should be a greater uh, focus uh, on self, uh, on ego. And um, don't ever uh, bother reading the writings of Friedrich Nietzsche, but uh, he will talk to you a bit about ego, right? And so people get all tangled up about all of that. Uh, Look, the, the reality is that Jesus disagrees with that, right? Jesus disagrees that that altruistic love, that the love that seeks not our own, is damaging to us. And in fact, he says, if you would but grasp the concept, then you would uh, have the, uh, uh, the great opportunity uh, to both grow in yourselves and to see the love of God spread into the lives of others. We should truly see ourselves as our brother's keeper. Unlike the self-focused uh, question you might remember, that Cain asked after he killed his brother Abel. Have a look in Genesis. Let's turn there. So in Genesis, Genesis chapter 4, very early in the, in, in the Bible record here and in the history, uh, uh, we're told of uh, Cain and Abel uh, as brothers, children of Abraham, We're told that she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground, reading from verse 2 in chapter 4 in Genesis. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain uh, brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel also he brought uh, of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, And Cain was very wroth, or angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, shall you not be accepted? And if you do not well, then sin lies at the door. And unto you shall be his desire, and you shall rule over him. Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. So there was a murder here, a murder of passion, a murder of uh, revenge, a murder of jealousy or envy or however you describe it, uh, but clearly not an act of love. And then the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Now, the obvious answer to the rhetorical question is, I'm not my brother's keeper. Not my responsibility. Right? Uh, uh, should I, in fact, uh, be concerned about him? And if you look at the story, and uh, of course we can think about some of the detail here, we have a person who went through the motions. Uh, and, uh, and we can uh, see that here. Uh, we can contrast a careless and thoughtless offering and a choice of, uh, and generous uh, offering. We can see a difference in attitude that clearly the Lord was able to recognise as between Cain and Abel uh, and therefore which uh, uh, permitted the acceptance of one sacrifice and not the other. We see God's right in his authority to test and to challenge Uh, We can see also the natural tendency, as we uh, uh, see here in Cain, uh, for bitterness to develop, uh, and uh, uh, that certainly uh, developed here. We can see anger, and we can see an action on anger that ultimately kills. We can see a subsequent lie and callous denial of responsibility. I, my brother's keeper, and... That's not the way we should behave. Now, put aside the murder bit, right, because I think that's easy for us to see that that should not be part of our lives. We are also challenged by this story to never be in the position that we say X was not my responsibility. Uh, Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. the message of Jesus, that we are our brother's keeper. We are there to uphold one another. It's interesting, you know, uh, altruism is not just about tit-for-tat behaviour, that reciprocal altruism I spoke about before, which makes our willingness uh, uh, to uh, uh, support dependent upon some future benefit. It's different in that context to our little... Look in Acts chapter 18. There's a nice little story here. Acts chapter 18, and reading in verse 24. It says that a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. Being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So we had here an eloquent man, a godly man. Uh, he, his name was Apollos, and he came to Ephesus. And he spoke of the, uh, and gave instruction as to the way of the Lord. But it seems that his knowledge was not complete. He only knew of one baptism. It was a baptism of John, which was a baptism of repentance. But we're told that he spoke boldly. Right? In verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Love seeks not her own. One of the ways that love seeks not her own is to be willing to expound the word of God more perfectly. Or a zeal uh, to be part of the things of God, but have a, a deficiency, if you like, in their own awareness and their own knowledge. Here they expounded the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, uh, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. For he might, mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So here we have a man who was active. Now, this is all happening in Ephesus, by the way, and uh, people uh, were responding to his message, uh, responding to his outreaching, if you like, Uh, but for a while, until he had the word of God expanded unto him more perfectly, uh, then some that he would have, quote, converted uh, or made, uh, uh, convinced them about the things of the Lord, uh, would not have grasped the full gospel, because it... uh, wasn't in his knowledge to convey at that time. But in uh, verse 1 of chapter 19, we're told, and we're still in Ephesus here, so it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, right, so Apollos had moved on, uh, that Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they say, said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptised? And they said, unto John's baptism. And then said Paul, Will John verily baptise with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied, and all, men, all the men were about twelve. This is just a little example of the love of God at work in the context of being willing to expound the word of God more perfectly. The world is full of confusion. In this time, it was confusion born of the fact that it was all very early days. And people uh, were still uh, trying to come to terms with what the message of Jesus was all about. And so as people went about with a zeal, uh, not always according to knowledge, uh, that they spoke about Jesus and convinced them. uh, But ultimately, when the crunch came, when the time for baptism came, when the time came to receive of all of what it was that Jesus made possible for us to receive, they gave only half the story. And they gave a message of baptism that was bound to repentance, but didn't speak of the Holy Ghost. And so uh, firstly, uh, those who uh, uh, spoke to Apollos uh, uh, and and expounded, that is Aquila and Priscilla, who expounded the gospel more uh, perfectly, they corrected it so that Apollos could be uh, out there uh, uh, evangelising not only with zeal but also with knowledge. But then when Paul came along, some uh, people who were convinced or uh, they would have thought converted uh, by what uh, they had been told, uh, he said, hey, there's a Holy Ghost here. There's a Holy Ghost that you need to receive and you need to be part of that. And uh, so he told them the difference between the baptism of John uh, that spoke of what was to come and the baptism in the name of Jesus uh, that was ultimately to lead to the receiving of the Holy Ghost. These people acted on that, they received the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues as we know that they should and uh, they were converted. And that was the start of the church at Ephesus. A great little example for us of just people getting on with the work of the Lord moved by love. And love in this case had to correct. And sometimes love needs to do that. And love as it seeks not her own uh, should not just sort of hide into a corner and let people uh, live in some sort of concept of peace uh, in a deluded way uh, according to what they believe from time to time. It allows us to challenge. It allows us to speak A more perfect word and to let people understand what Jesus came to give. In Romans chapter fifteen. Reading from verse one. Puts it very directly here. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves understanding here as to what it's about I, I think it's pretty not but every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification for even Christ pleased not himself but as it is written the reproaches of them that reproached you fell on me for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive you one another. as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Part of seeking not our own is being willing to receive, be willing to uh, bring people, uh, into your life uh, and indeed to get yourself into uh, but not of the world to allow yourself to mix with others so that you might have an opportunity to be a testimony for Jesus to them receiving people is important right? uh, it, 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 there's a once you've got a good close-knit fellowship or a good close-knit group of friends uh, we, are, we all have a tendency to just uh, congregate uh, within that boundary. Right? We're comfortable, right? Some people call the clique, right? But it can be a family, it can be a friendship circle, it can be a church, uh, or it can be your work colleagues, people you're familiar with, right? And you can congregate in that way. We are to receive people. We are to go out into the world and receive people let me to say we so much become a part of the world that we undermine our testimony not at all but we recognize that we need to demonstrate a love of god to others by willing to receive them into our life let's finish at a few scriptures in 1 john in chapter 2 and he picks up the uh, the newness and oldness uh, point John chapter 2 and reading from verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is Come to his message here in a minute. The context of course is that John was dealing with a heresy. There were people in the church who were preaching heresy uh, and he had to rebut it. Uh, And so what he emphasised here that he didn't want to bring them something new. He wanted to bring them the commandment that they had received from the beginning. He wanted to remind them that it wasn't all about embracing, uh, you know, the next new fad or the next new idea or the next new philosophy or the next new religious doctrine. Uh, This is about holding on to the commandment that we had received from the beginning. That's what John's message is all about in his three letters. And uh, so he uh, goes on, he says, he that says he is in the light in verse nine and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loves his brother abides in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But the he that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and knows, knows not where he goes because that darkness has blinded his eyes. Uh, here, of course, emphasising uh, our willingness to show that, blood, uh, that love uh, to our brothers. In chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. We're recipients of God's love, because he welcomed us into his family, so that we could be his children. In verse 11, it says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. It was Cain who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Why, why did Cain slew, slay his brother? Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Right? If you break down the whole story of Cain and Abel, right, uh, the interesting issue here is that he killed his brother because his brother did well and he did not. And what he was not able to see and what fuelled his uh, need for uh, uh, revenge, his anger, his bitterness, uh, uh, his envy, his jealousy, all of those things, was a failure to recognise the fault in himself and his willingness to attribute a fault to his brother or an injustice that was born of the way his brother was uh, uh, treated. Here, John says, uh, you know, when you ask yourself why he, sl- he slayed, slewed, slayed, killed his brother, right, if you ask why he did that, then really it boils down to the fact that his brother did better. Marvel not, by my brethren, if the world hates you. And it does, and it will. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. Now, that's pretty strong language, right? If we're not able to receive a brother, if we're not able to uh, demonstrate to others an attitude that doesn't seek their own, then John speaks very bluntly to us. Who so hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to, to lay down our lives for the brethren, right? Remember that quality that makes this a new commandment? It is that it does not seek our own. It lays down our life for others. And it goes on, it says um, in verse 17, but whosoever has this world's good and sees his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, then how dwells the love of God in him? My little children, so what that says is, is that, you know, we can have what the world gives us, right? We can have the world's good, right? And yet, if we see the brother in need and do not give, then how is that? The love of God. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. This is the fridge magnet verse, right? Let us not love in word or what we say out of our mouths, but let's do it in deed and in truth, in action, in how we behave to others. Hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, then God is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. Uh, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep, those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keeps his commandments dwells in him and he in him. And hereby we know know that he abides in us by the spirit which he has given us. These are great verses, aren't they? And don't they just capture? solar one